morning. Um, I heard several of you talking this morning about how many times you went to the fall festival this past week. Um, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Um, I had a traumatic experience a few years ago and I haven't been back since. Um, I was just minding my own business, standing in line to get Tanya some fudge from St. Matthew's booth. And I may or may not have been eating a deep fried Twinkie. And, uh, I get a, get a tap on the back of my shoulder, and I hear this voice said, that's not on your diet. And I turned around, it was my doctor. <laughs> and uh, I felt kind of ashamed, and I just haven't been able to go back since. And, uh, but uh, I know some of you might be suffering fall festival overload, so... I'll try to keep the sermon in less than 90 minutes this morning. Uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, I know a majority of you could care less about Major League Baseball. Um, right now, that's Major League Baseball is in the middle of the playoffs, and I am a huge fan of baseball. I even look forward to every August watching the Little League World Series. And... It was in the uh, 70s that I really started to follow baseball. The era of the big red machine, which Cincinnati Reds became my favorite team. Whenever I played baseball, I always wanted to wear Johnny Bench's number five. And I just, I, of all the other sports, I like golf, I like football, but baseball's always been my favorite sport and the Reds my favorite team. But today, I want to kind of mention one of my least favorite teams. I'm sorry about this, Greg, but it's Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, in 1979, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they had been battling the Reds through the 70s about most of the time who would be representing um, the National League in the World Series. And in 1979, the Pirates started out the season, like every other team, they had hopes of reaching the World Series. But by the time they reached midseason, they found themselves in fourth place. And about that time, they adopted this song by Sister Sledge called We Are Family. And that became their model. I know some of you are saying you probably never heard Sister Sledge re referenced in a Sunday morning sermon, but follow along. Um, and that was the song that they celebrated every win to. And eventually, by the end of the season, they found themselves in first place in their division. And they went on to uh, win, beat my Cincinnati Reds to play in the World Series. And when they got to the World Series, they lost, they, they found themselves down three games to one. But they didn't give up. Um, they made no excuses for who they were. They knew that if they continued to try to do what they could, they would be successful. And they went on to win the World Series, becoming one of only four teams at that time that had ever came back from a three-game deficit to win the World Series. And anyway, when they interviewed the players at the end of the season, 
they, you know, they said, was the song your magic pill that helped you win? And they said, the song may have helped us, but what was really the bonding of the team is that we became a family. And that's why we represented, you know, that's why we used that song as our motto. And um, they said that was, you, they couldn't really understand how close of a team they were and how close of a family they didn't, even though they had some players that went on to be um, big stars, they said during that season, it didn't matter who was the star that any given game, what mattered the most is that they won as a team. And that's what pulled them together. And I mentioned all of that to say, um, it's about maybe six months or so after the World Series is when uh, my family started coming to New Bethel. And we were, at the time, we were still meeting in the gym. You know, they hadn't poured the concrete in here yet. And um, I can't, I'm trying to have, I couldn't remember when we started singing the song, but we sang it for a long time at the end of every service. Um, you know, part of the family, or the family of God. They would you know, we join hands and sing the song. And my memories of that song were, one, when we finally got the overhead screens up on the wall and put the words up, I realized for all those years I'd been singing the wrong words. <laughs> um, it was the, the there was a line in there that says, um, make sure I get it right, um, the actual words are join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. But all of those years, I had been singing join hands with Jesus as we travel this hour. No one ever corrected me. Um, but, you know, I'd been singing the wrong song. And then the other thing I remember is that there were several people that just flat refused to move from their spot to join hands with everybody else. The thing I remember um, that it wasn't the song that made our church a family. Gosh. My wife took odds this morning how many times I would cry. Um, but um, it wasn't the song. It was the people that lived by the spirit of the song that would do everything they could. Sometimes they were stretching their body out as far as they could to make sure everybody in the church would join hands and felt like you were part of the family. And it, was, it had nothing to do with the song. It, had, all it, it was dealt with, was, or what caused us to be a family, were the members that made that extra effort to make everyone feel like they were family. And I am in no way saying that, you know, when Cole comes back saying, Mike says we need to join hands and sing the family of God again. That is not what Mike is saying. What I'm saying is that for our ch church to continue to grow, to get better, we have to live by the spirit of that song, that we're a family. Um, we're a loving family that's united in prayer, seeking God's will for our church, working together towards a common goal. And you can, and I can bear witness to what happens when we as a church are united in prayer, putting all of 
our personal thoughts, our personal ideas, our personal agendas aside, when we are united as a church in prayer, working towards that one common goal, God blesses us so much. You know, some of you remember back in 1994 when our church found out that we were close to, I think it was $300,000 in debt. And our church pulled together, and with that, within seven years, we were able to pay that debt off. And, you know, just a couple years ago, about two and a half years ago, when Pastor Mark left to go to another church, I remember on a Wednesday night, um, I had just became chairman of the deacons, and all I asked was the church is that, can we just pray for God's will for our church? Not who we think should be a pastor, how old they should be, how, you know, how big a family, but that we as a church would just pray for God to send us the pastor that he wanted. And look what happened. You know, it just, how, how many months was it, Greg? Just maybe two or three months, something like that, that God sent us call. And other churches were saying, how did you guys get a pastor that quick? Gateway had been without a pastor for a year and a half. And they said, how did that happen? They said, we put our trust in God. We, stood, we put our thoughts aside and focused on God's will for New Bethel Baptist Church. And think about how all those things came into place. Cole sold his house in one day. He found a house here in Evansville and was able to move right into it. And it was just, you go through all that and you can see how God worked in our church. And I think some of us, myself included, that once we got a pastor here, we took a, and just took a step back. And I know myself that I was like, well, my job's done. You know, we've got a pastor, he'll take care of it. But that's, that's not God's plan. Um, it's us working together as a church. And, you know, I said we have a common goal. What is, our church, what is a church's common goal? And this isn't something that Mike Fritz came up with on his own and decided this is our church's goal. The Bible clearly tells us what our goal is. And we find it in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses, Cole did the scriptures for me, I hope he got them right, um, 16 through 20. It says, when the, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to obey anything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That passage doesn't just apply to the 11 disciples there at that time. That message, that passage applies to us. We as a church are to take the gospel to the world. We're to teach. We're to make other disciples. And then there's three things I want to point out in that scripture. One being, some doubted. Um, even though Christ was standing directly in front of them, there were some 
that were struggling with the resurrection. And in this world today, there are people out there that still don't believe and struggle that Christ is alive, he walked out of that grave. And it's our job to share with them that Christ is alive today. And then we um, look at, we're to make disciples of all nations. That means sharing the gospel anywhere and everywhere, not just to those who show up for church on Sunday. And I was, I'll probably share a little bit more of it later on, but um, this past week, my cardiologist finally started easing up on things I can do. And um, as you know, our daughter and Nevin are getting married next May, and they decided they don't want a big church wedding. They want to get married in the gazebo in our backyard. And Elena said, Dad, can you move this pole so it'll look better in the pictures? And so I've been out doing a little bit of time working on our gazebo, trying to get ready for their wedding coming up in May. And while, I'm, while I've been out there, I list, I've, I've got XM radio on my phone, and I've been listening to the Billy Graham channel. And that particular day I was listening to it, they were, show, they were listening, or they were presenting pastors that Billy Graham had looked up to. And this day it was a message delivered by Adrian Rogers. And one of the things he talked about is about being disciples. Um, as Christians, we're to be the salt of the earth, not the salt of the church. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he said, to get the gospel out, sometimes you've got to shake the salt shaker. And we're not just presenting the gospel to the church. We have to, as a church, we're told to make disciples of all nations. That's everyone outside these doors, our neighborhood, wherever God sends us. It's not just us. And then the other thing I want to point out is that it says, surely I'm with you always. God doesn't ask us to do it alone. He's with us every step of the way. He will prepare us. He doesn't just send us out without going with us. And then we ask, what can get in our way from doing this? And um, or the one way a church that becomes one way that causes a church not to do it is that we become complacent. And a complacent church is a church that can cease to exist. And I ask, are we taking the gospel beyond the doors of this church? How do we respond to visitors? Casting Crowns has a song, If We Are the Body. Um, if I were to sing it, it really wouldn't be a joyful noise. But I would like to share um, one of the lines in that song. It says, but if we are the body, why aren't his hands reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his, hurt, his words teaching? And if we are the body, why aren't his feet going? And why is his love not showing them there is a way? When the, the lead man for Casting Crowns said, when he wrote that song, it was based on the scripture um, in James 2, verses 1 through 9. And he said it addresses a problem in churches today. He said he had been in many churches. And that he said he'd been in many churches that resemble a circle. A circle is fine 
if you're inside that circle. But most people find themselves outside the circle and there's, said there's no sign on the church door, but you get the feeling that not everyone there is, they got everyone there they need. And you're welcome to come, but you're never really going to be part of the circle. Now, I'm not saying that's applying to New Bethel. I know that we make, it's our model, it's our effort that we try to be friendly and make everyone that enters our door welcome. And we do, I feel we do a really good job of that. But the thing that we have to avoid is we have to be on constant guard that we don't become complacent and falling into that trap of self-serving instead of serving the one who paid the price for our sins. And then something else that gets in our way is how do we respond when God calls? As you see, the title of the ex is Excuses. Um, me and I talked to Cole about that several times. I kept thinking, what am I going to use for the title? And honestly, the first one I thought of, um, I bought an ox, I can't go. But we end up deciding on excuses, what's yours? And um, anyway, as individuals and as a church, we sometimes make excuses for not responding when God, when God calls us to be his hands and feet. And we're not alone in this. The Bible gives us many examples of people that were trying to get out of what God was calling them to do. And let's look at a few of them. We know Moses. It tells us in Exodus 3 and 4 that uh, Moses was probably like the number one guy for giving excuses. When God went to him, he said, uh, who am I to go to Pharaoh and ask him to release the Israelites? And God answered him. Then Moses came up with a bunch of, what if this happens? Suppose this happens. Um, what am I going to do? And, but God answered each one of them. And then Moses wasn't, still, wasn't satisfied. He said, um, Lord, I don't speak so good. Uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Don't take me for reading straight, but it's, he said, I don't speak so good, Lord. Um, and then God responded, who gave humans their mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. But Moses wasn't done. He said, ah, just send someone else. And then in Judges 6, God is calling Gideon to lead the army to save Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon replied, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least of my family. And then in Jeremiah God calls Jeremiah to deliver a message of judgment to the, G the Judean kingdom. And Jeremiah responded, Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. Then in Jonah, God called Jonah to speak to, ne or to Nineveh. But Jonah didn't even wait around to give an excuse. He just ran away. And, you know, you look at those examples and have we in our life used something similar when God has called us to do something. And, but we know, as Paul Harvey said, the rest of the story, that each one of them, God used them in a special way to do what he needed to do. He didn't send them on their own. When they finally realized the trust in God, they were able to accomplish the task that he had sent for them to do. And that's what we have to remember is that God is always with us. And then, have you ever 
tried to excuse yourself from a task you felt God was calling you to do, I'd be telling you, you'll lie if I said I never did it. Um, I kind of compiled a list, it's not something to be proud of, of excuses that I've used um, when I felt God calling me to do something. And uh, as I share these, um, I'm not, please don't write them down so you can use them in a future time. Um, but these are excuses that I've used. Um, and one of them is, um, now's, the right night, now's not the right time for me, maybe later. Um, those that served with me on the nominating committee heard me say that many times. You know, I'd like to do that job, but maybe I'll wait till I'm retired. Um, and recently, I've said, you know, I'll, I'll serve as like the assistant Sunday school director, but I really don't want to do the job till I'm retired. Well, God's timing is not always our timing, and now I find myself I'm the Sunday school director. But a lot of times we do things and we say, God asks us, God, maybe later, I, I have, you know, let's do it later. And then sometimes we might say, I don't understand what the Bible is saying. Someone might ask a question I don't know how to answer. Um, I felt like that many times when I felt like God was asking me to lead a Bible study group. And then I'm thinking, Lord, what if they ask me a question? I'm not a Bible scholar. You know, what do I do? And then I've used this one recently. My health isn't what it used to be. You know, I used, and I know there are things, I'm learning there are things that I physically can't do. Um, now when, even after the knee surgery, when I kneel down, I'm looking for something to help pull myself up. You know, but even when my health isn't as good as it should be, God can still use me to do his work. And then I've also used the excuse, I've been doing it long enough, it's someone else's turn. I've used that a lot. Um, and then I've said, this is just not my skill set. There has to be someone better equipped to do this. And then, um, like Jonah, I, I thought, you know, if I just avoided the question, maybe they'll forget about it and move on. Now, I, I kind of think of that um, when I first became a deacon, the pastor would attend the service. He would look out and have look for one of us to pray. And I'm thinking, you know, if I look down, he may not see me, you know? Um, not that I'm opposed to praying in public, but, you know, that's sometimes how we do. Um, you know, we're like the, oh, ostrich, we hide our head in the sand, and maybe they'll, they won't see us. And then, you know, I don't want a show of hands or response, but have any of you used those excuses before? when God has called you to do something. What, what I've learned from studying through this is that each time I use that excuse, it shows how I truly trust God. It shows how much I love him, and it reveals my commitment to serving him. There are no prerequisites to serving God. There are no age requirements. There is no level of um, knowledge that you have to have. You just have to be willing. That's, that's all he's asking is, 
um, you to be willing. Um, and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we're to say yes, that every time somebody comes and asks us to do something. Because there are times that we can be so overcommitted, all we're doing is church. We're not really serving God. I had a pastor once tell me that if all it is, pick one thing that you do the best for God. He said, I would rather you do that than do a bunch of things and not really helping God at all. And that's what we have to look at. And, but Isaiah 6 gives us the best example of how to respond when God calls us. Um, Here I am, Lord, send me. Isaiah didn't say where. God just said, I needed someone to go. And he said, send me. Um, you know, serving on the uh, nominating committee, I, you know, I'm not, I hate to make phone calls. Really do. I, I, that's something I've said over and over. It is easier for me to stand up in front of the church than it is to call somebody from church on the phone. Even my family, it's just, I don't know what this phobia is. But, you know, being on the nominating committee has forced me to do things I don't like doing. But I also hear responses that, you know, people will say yes, some people say no. And I'm, I'm not saying it's bad to say no. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when sometimes when somebody in church asks you to do something, you may say no. But what I'm saying is that when it's God calling you, do not say no. It'll make you miserable. And um, if you're wondering what God's calling me to do, I don't really have the whole time to go into that sermon. But let me make a suggestion. Um, there's a Bible study out there that I think many of you are familiar with. Um, it's been around for a long time. But there's a Bible study called Experiencing God. And it's one of the there may be others, but it's, to me, it's one of the best ones that can help you learn to where you, you're within God's will, God's will and where he is wanting you to serve him. Um, I've been through that study four different times, and I've learned something new every time I've done it. And then to understand what it means to be a disciple of Christ, um, let me suggest another Bible, another thing, a little bit of homework. I listened to this sermon um, just the other day, and this pastor can de delivered a message that helped me understand what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So when you, if you have free time at home and you would like to Google or look on YouTube, search Adrian Rogers, how to be a fully committed disciple. And that video he breaks down what it truly means to be a disciple of Christ. And, um, and he can describe it in a way much better than I can. And I wish I could share what I learned from it, but um, I just don't think I could do it justice. I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying that there is a thing out there that can really help you in a way better than I can. Um, and then when I was through this, I started thinking, I got to a section and I said, you know, I may have put the cart before the horse. 
Um, you know, this might be your first time in church, or it might be that you come to church every Sunday. But if you've never gave your life to Christ, you can't be his disciple. That's the first step, is giving your life to Christ. And if we would look in Luke chapter 14, 16 through 18, it says, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet invited, and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the, of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So what can we learn from this passage? One, the invitation of salvation to salvation through Christ is open to everyone, but we have to accept it to be with him. And when we gather, we're to invite others. Refusal of the invitation is you saying, I don't have time for God, other things are more important in my life, whether it's money, your job, possessions, your family. You know, what is the most important thing? And then the invitation is a choice between heaven and hell. You can choose Christ or you can choose to go to hell. It's as simple as that. But people make many excuses as to why they won't give their life to Christ. Yeah. I'm put my page in backwards. Would you believe that? Anyway, um, what it all boils down to is excuses. Excuses reveals our priorities. Life consists of priorities and choices. We make time for our priorities. What is your priority? There's a story of a man who asked his neighbor if he could borrow a ladder. Sorry, I can't let you borrow the ladder, said the neighbor. It's leaning against the wall, and it keeps the wall from falling. That's ridiculous, declared the man. Your ladder doesn't hold up the wall. True, said the neighbor, but when you don't want to do something, one excuse is as good as another. And that's really all it is, is excuses. And what do I hope that I was able to express through this message that you're able to take away from it is, the command of the Great Commission is not a suggestion. Jesus didn't say, if you have time, you know, sometime down the road. He said, we're to do it. It's not just if we feel like it. It's a command. As a believer, we're responsible for inviting others. There's always room for one more. And then some people may need a little prodding. 
They may be reluctant at first. We don't force them, but we love, but we are lovingly persistent in the trying to get them to come. Jesus is saying salvation is free to everyone, not just the people that we like. And then if you fail to accept God's invitation, you will not enjoy the blessing of his salvation. You will be separated from God. We can make all the excuses we want, but just as Jonah found out, you cannot run and you cannot hide from God. He knows where we are. He knows as we were studying in the book of Psalms these past Wednesday nights, God knows every thought. He knows the words we're going to say before we even say them. You cannot hide from God. And then earlier I mentioned the song Family of God. All I remember is singing the first verse of the song, but there's a couple verses that I would like to share with you this morning. And no, I'm not going to sing them. It says, the verse starts, you will notice we say brother and sister here. It's because we are a family and these so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in the victory in the family so dear. From the door of the orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags to riches, from weak to strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. We are God's people. And we, as a church, have to show the love to the people that are lost. Um, I, I look around and we have plenty of room to bring people in but we just have to invite them. Um, and I admit, I'm, I'm really loud. My wife is so much better at that than me. Um, but that's not an excuse. I need to do better. Um, so I ask you this morning, are you glad you're part of the family of God? Do you want to add to your family? You know, as I mentioned earlier, um, our daughter is going to be marrying Nevin, and me and Ta they came over to our house Friday morning, and Nevin fixed me fried eggs, biscuits, and gravy. And I'm like, man, it's going to be good to have him in the family. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it's, we look, um, we want to add to our family. Um, and, you know, I know there are family members that we don't like, but... They all deserve the same Christ that we have. And then, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? If not, it's as simple as ABC. Admit, your God, admit to God you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Salvation, the grace of salvation is free. Discipleship comes with a cost. That cost is us putting everything that we want to do aside and following what Jesus wants us to do. And that sometimes is hard for us. We want control of our life. But Christ said to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. That means that we no longer have control over directing our life. It's God who's in control. We have 
to do that before we can make disciples. So God is calling you today. How will you respond? Don't use the examples I gave. Because when you tell God no, you get miserable for a long time. I can attest to that. What is God calling you to do today? And how will you respond? So as Becky comes forward, let's pray. Our most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come and share in your word. Father, I pray that the message that was delivered today, Father, is pleasing to you. Father, that there is a message that we can take home from here, Father, that we can apply it to our lives. Father, help us to be a better witness as individuals and as a church for you. Father, that um, we might grow closer in relationship to you, and Father, that our family might increase. Father, I pray that you be with our pastor, that you will just continue to guide him and give him the path you would have our church to take. And Father, that if there's one here today that has never made that decision for you, that today, Father, they give their life to you. And Father, I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.